Welcome to the Future of Ground Transportation podcast, where we discuss the exciting innovations that lie ahead for organizational ground transportation. Each episode, we cover topics tailored to those resolving transportation-related challenges and provide tips, tools, and trends that will inspire you to stay ahead of the curve. And now, here's your host, Daniel Perez. Welcome to the Future of Ground Transportation podcast. Tonight, we have a special guest, Ms. Alicia Payne. Uh, Ms. Alicia comes with a ton of expertise. She's actually one of our main leaders in, in the ground transportation sector, especially for DPV transportation. Alicia is the head of operations at DPV, which brings a ton of value and expertise in the ground transportation sector, as well as parking management. Alicia, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time for learning more about your expertise. So today, uh, we're going to be speaking with Alicia of how to implement a ground transportation program. Um, Alicia, most of our listeners are decision makers in the ground transportation sector, uh, whether it's ground or fried as well. Um, decision makers such as transportation managers, uh, procurement officers, transit authorities. So for the folks that are just getting into the industry that are implementing a ground transportation program and would like to understand how it works to implement a program from the beginning to the end, we would love to get your expertise. But before we, we go there, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the ground transportation sector. Yeah, perfect. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, so I've been in transportation, parking, and mobility as an industry for the last 15 years. I started in this industry from a audit and regulatory compliance uh, side of things and quickly dabbled in operations and really fell in love with the industry and how it operates and ticks and all the technology advancements that were happening really in the early uh, 2000s. So I've been been around for a little bit and uh, really enjoy the industry. I think it's, it's a very interesting, diverse and innovative industry uh, that a lot of people don't realize how much innovation goes into this particular industry. Totally. Thank you, Alicia. So tell us how you guys started. What was your first uh, role of responsibilities when you entered into the transportation sector or parking or mobility? Yep. I started in a parking services company uh, up on the North Shore in Massachusetts uh, and really got into the audit and compliance and building out a program for a smaller company based here uh, and was with them for six or seven years before they were sold. Uh, and then I made my way on to a larger organization, but really focused on compliance, audit, both on the operational and revenue side um, and helping that organization advance their revenue and profitability. Awesome. Awesome. By the way, one thing that we didn't discuss yet is you are a mom. You live in New Hampshire. Tell us a little bit about, you know, you entering into the transportation sector as a mom, as a woman, how, 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 what are the challenges that you have uh, dealt with as you have entered into these uh, sectors of transportation, 
parking management and mobility? Uh, so there are definitely challenges for moms and women's in this and women in this industry. I've just been super fortunate to have a ton of male mentors and coaches along the way that have really helped provide a lot of opportunity for me and really a lot of coaching of how I can highlight the expertise and the different approaches that being a mom and being a woman make me rather than trying to mold and fit into an industry that is very, very much male dominated. Totally. So what would you say are the recommendations for other female leaders penetrating into this industry uh, that are just coming in cold turkey? Um, you know, with the experience that you have, what, what suggestions will you give to those listeners entering into the transportation sector? Resist the desire to change yourself to fit the industry. The industry needs new and different perspective and approaches. And, and that comes from all genders and race, religion. All of these things are what make transportation so cool and, and exciting is all of our differences. Um, but I often see women try to get into this industry and match the energy of the folks that have been here for 20 or 30 years or their male counterparts rather than embracing the, the differences that they bring to the table. Very, very well said. Again, in the, again, in the essence of transparency, Alicia is one of our main uh, C-level executives here at DPV, which is why I wanted to make sure that she participated in this podcast to bring so many nuggets of wisdom and experience to all the listeners. So thank you, Alicia. So again, um, for all the listeners, especially that are just getting started implementing a ground transportation program, whether you're just getting started or you have a ton of years of experience and you could benefit just of kind of listening from another perspective of how we as a, as a ground transportation program, when we lend a, a major contract, whether it's $5 million to $50 million, how do we implement it, right? What happens behind the scenes? So with that being said, Alicia, walk us through, through the beginning of the implementation. So, and again, just to give you a little bit of more context. So let's just say that uh, you have a Fortune 1000 company or a transit authority that recently awards a transportation program for a vendor. How will you know? How will you approach it? How will you implement it with the experience? And if you could just share a little bit of what we do here at DPV as well. Absolutely, thanks, Daniel. Uh- one of the most critical pieces is the size of the opportunity and the size of the program doesn't change the plan. The plan is consistent and measurable across all departments. So by having a project management platform that really outlines the key objectives that you're trying to meet throughout the implementation, regardless of the size, that process shouldn't change. Some of your deliverables will change, but the process never changes. It's consistent, which allows the team to consistently deliver the same high expectation levels that we do for a small project or a multi-million dollar project. So tell us a little bit about the process. You mentioned the process never changed. So, So tell us a little bit of the process, if you could please go deeper into that. Yeah. So for for us here and my team, The first step in the process is always the engagement with the sales team up front before the contract is signed, before, you know, we've got buses and wheels on the ground, so to speak. It's really engaging with the sales team 
right through the sales process leading up to the new contract. That way, the operations team is already up to speed. We're not wasting time trying to play catch up on all the details and the intricacies of a new opportunity coming to the team. Got it. So you we you have chauffeurs to to sort of hire or chauffeurs that are sort of already in in the mix to get placed in, in a specific account. You have vehicles to get designated of purchase and go through inspections. Tell us a little bit about the the priorities within the implementation. Yep. And with any good implementation plan, it requires teamwork. It's a large group of people working towards a much larger goal. And for us here at DPV, we use a project management platform to assign out those responsibilities to individual departments. So as you mentioned, recruiting, whether that be internal or external recruiting for chauffeurs or management positions, that's going to be done by our head of people. That person is going to be responsible for those key objectives, whereas safety and risk is really going to step in and make sure that we have all of our DOT requirements are met, our safety measures are in place, our emergency action plans are in order. And then you have fleet coming in and making sure that we're either making a purchase on new fleet or we are allocating existing DPB assets out to a project and making sure that those vehicles meet all the requirements of the contract. Got it. So help us understand as a five-year-old the, uh, the the vehicle. So what is the process with the vehicles? Let's just say if it's a contract that requires 20 vehicles and we are buying new equipment, I'm assuming, um, in the essence of transparency, there's a ton of supply chain issues as well. So, like, how do you navigate through through those uh, ropes, pretty much? Yeah. So, one of my biggest responsibilities here at DPV is navigating those supply chain issues from a bus availability, staffing, and recruiting, and having vendors that we work with on a regular basis so that we know where the inventory is. We need we know where to go. We have our partnerships and we've already, you know, through the sales process identified what vehicles are needed, where we're going to procure them from, so that as we get to the contracting and implementation stage, we're already ready to execute. And whether that be a brand new purchase or getting you know, a little crafty and refurbishing an older unit due to supply chain issues uh, and really making sure that we continue to m- deliver the measure of high quality vehicles that DPV has committed to. Yeah, thank you, Alicia. So for, for, again, for all the listeners that they either have plenty of experience or just getting into the industry, um, what is the don't and do's when buying new vehicles? So, for example, in my past experience, I have noticed that we, we had a contract started in, let's just say, 60 days, and then the the manufacturing company sort of delayed the whole process by another 30 days. So what are the, what are the do's and don'ts uh, that come to mind? So, for example, on my end, as I, as I alluded a few seconds ago, one of the things that we recently started implementing and that I did a few uh, years ago is that we put penalty fees for the dealerships and the guys that are manufacturing the buses in the event that they don't deliver the bus 
the buses by that specific time. So I wait in the eyes of the customer. They know that we're going to deliver, right? So in, in your side, what what are the what will be your recommendations? Yeah, you're spot on, Daniel. Just like with any team, you have to hold them accountable. There have to be metrics and deliverables for a vendor or an internal to a client, and just as the client has expectations of us. Uh, so really making sure that one when we're having conversations with our client and with our vendors, that we're being realistic about timelines. In any project, the worst thing you can do is overcommit and underdeliver. You want to be realistic with your time, whether that be the time to procure vehicles, how long it's going to take to hire 40 new chauffeurs. We all want to deliver and say, yes, we'll do this in seven days. But I think we know and the customer knows that that's not reality, especially in this very ever-changing and challenging market when it comes to supply chain and staffing. So really being upfront, having those honest adult conversations with vendors and with our customers so that they understand that we, we are going to do our best to deliver to them in a real time frame and we're going to be upfront about it. We're not going to overpromise and just give them the sales pitch that they're expecting to hear. That is very well said. So typically, let's just say for programs where we have experience dealing with 40, uh, 40 chauffeurs and whether it's 20 or 40 vehicles, how much time will you recommend in today's environment as a, a sort of to implement the, the right appropriate implementation plan? Yep. So the answer is a little different. Staffing for 40 people, you can do it in 30 to 45 days. Vehicles, 40 vehicles, that's a very different conversation. You probably need 90 to 120 days to supply that level of, of, of assets because you're going to have, to, in this climate, you're going to have to go to multiple vendors. You're not going to be able to go and get all 40 of that supply from one person. This market just, it, it just isn't there the way it used to be. Totally, totally. So with, with that being said, uh, besides the vehicles, actually with the vehicles, as far as payments, because I, I know um, other competitors and other companies have gotten into into issues with, with payments where either vendors require the payment upfront or halfway through through sort of the implementation. What do you suggest based on your experience? Um, it, it, it has definitely become a customary thing where the vendor is going to ask for 50% upfront. Um, unless it's bank financing, they can be a little bit more flexible with that. But with a cash opportunity, with a cash purchase, they're going to ask for 50% upfront. Um, and I, my recommendation to an organization like DPV and would be really making sure that if we know that's going to be a requirement, really having the conversation with the customer so that they understand that DPV is putting out a whole lot of faith and trust on their behalf. And we're making these huge commitments, not just to them and the contract, but really on the capital side. Um, and I think that creates a great deal of trust in a with a customer when we're open and honest and transparent and they understand um, what we're doing on their behalf. Totally. That is very well said. Thank you, Alicia. Let's move into into parts. So a lot of times, especially we operate in larger programs, what has worked well in, in the past is to make sure that we have 
the the parts to sort of supply the vehicles that are for vehicles that are constantly breaking down for those specific parts. So what do you yeah. do in regards to the parts? Yeah, so especially in this market, having consistent fleet, meaning your your manufacturer, you don't purchase a different manufacturer every time. When you have consistency, you can order parts in bulk. Um, and that way you're not dealing with backlog with multiple providers. So for example, I, DPV, we have large accounts and we keep the same asset class at that location so that we can procure the parts and really make sure that our team is very skilled with that particular brand and knows the ins and outs of that engine, that body, and can provide quick, timely repair uh, to those vehicles because it's a critical piece when you talk about the parts and then you get into the secondary piece is staffing of mechanics. Staffing of these level of positions has grown to be a huge challenge in our industry and it's it's not showing signs of improvement. So you really got to get scrappy with how you're approaching it to be prepared and ahead of the curve. That is very well said. So tell us about sort of the challenges in the war for talent that we're seeing, right? Because we're all experiencing whether you're a transit authority or other tr ground transportation operators. How is it that uh, you at DPV as a, as a head of operations been able to maneuver sort of the, the war talent that we have for talented uh, drivers and chauffeurs? Yeah, so I think it really comes down to two things. One, the culture of DPV. And we are very accepting, very family oriented and really create an environment that our chauffeurs enjoy. So that makes DPV attractive as we have chauffeurs that share that that feedback with their friends, their family and people that come to work here on a regular basis. But the secondary piece of that is really having a competitive compensation package. And when we talk about that, in today's age, that's not just hourly wage. It's so much more than that now. It's you know, uniform incentive. It's paid time off. It's health. It's benefits. It's um, having events and time to engage with their peers. It's paid lunches. It's There's so much more than just the hourly wage that this workforce expects now. And I think that's a big piece of how DPV has been able to really create chauffeurs that are here for years. Our you know, voluntary um, employment rate is, or involuntary employment rate is very, very low, which is fantastic. It says that our chauffeurs here enjoy it. They love being here. They're not looking at outside organizations. And I think that's a big piece of what anyone, whether it's a operator or an institution that's attempting to do this service in-house, when you're hiring for these positions, it is a massive responsibility to be driving an asset this large and expensive and valuable, and you really need to invest in more than just the hourly wage to get the right people that will respect that that privilege. Totally, that is very well said. And and one of the things that you mentioned is the culture. Uh, you mentioned culture, and obviously wages have to be very competitive. But at the end of the day, 
um, based on my experience, if you have the right culture, you will keep attracting the right um, individuals that will embrace that culture and will sort of recruit other chauffeurs. So, yeah, that is a, a very well very well point. So let's let's move forward into safety. What are what are the safety mechanisms as you st- start to put this uh, sort of uh, transportation program in place? What are the things that you're doing proactively to make sure that you mitigate the risk of having accidents, uh, missing routes? Uh, also, touch a little bit about on-time performance as well. Yeah. So one of the most critical things that. I truly believe a lot of operators and institutions who attempt to do this on their own miss is really the route training and the route runs that happen before you ever start operation. And so here, when we're implementing a new program, we work with our training team and our safety and compliance manager to do route route training dry runs. We're testing to ensure that vehicle size is going to meet the streets and the environment um, of that route. Not all streets are created equal, making sure that we're identifying high traffic points in that route, areas where a stop may be located and it's not a safe stop location. It may be a convenient stop location, but it might not be the safest and really making recommendations long before we're starting those operations so that we're ahead of those challenges. And it's an absolute critical piece to any launch is making sure that you're putting that effort in before your launch date. Totally, totally. And tell us a little bit about customer service, right? Uh, At the end of the day, the customer service is is essential to to have a a successful, effective business transportation program. So tell us about sort of the mechanisms that we put in place to make sure that the client and the riders, whether it's a student, whether it's, again, whether it's a transit authority with with the daily commuters, that they experience a, you know, an optimal customer service experience. Yeah. So one of the key pieces here at DPV and our team is really making sure when we're bringing someone new on board, They're going through three days of intensive customer service training with our training manager and then really with our safety and compliance manager to make sure we're identifying safety risks to the customer and communicating those, catching them before they become issues. Secondary to that is the ongoing training. You can't train someone for three days and then just expect that that's going to be the way it is long term. So here at DPV, really focusing on monthly, quarterly, and annual trainings related to customer service, safety practices, operational um, procedures and processes, and really keeping that flow of training happening on a regular basis so it's constantly forefront to the chauffeurs. Very well said. All right, so let's let's dive deeper into the uh, technology perspective. What are the technologies... That again, if, if I'm implementing a program for 40 or 100 uh, buses, what are the, on a 90 degree uh, angle, like what would you recommend between um, on-time performance, automatic passenger counters, uh, Samsara, and all these other sort of tools 
that are in the transportation sector to a mitigate the risk for accidents to provide a better customer service experience create a mutual transparency between the the client and and the and the operator give us a sort of a nutshell uh, overview on what are the technologies that operators could be using um, based on your your experience absolutely you need three critical systems daniel one of which is going to be your gps tracking and routing for not just internal use, but for your end customer to know where the bus is, when is it coming, can I see if it's been delayed, is it stuck in traffic, and really eliminating those barriers of questions of, I don't know where the bus is, I know it's supposed to be here at 810, but now it's 812 and no one's here, and really having that transparency back to the customer. Secondary is going to be with your safety and compliance and having your cameras and your AI technology in the bus to identify when there are factors or behaviors that are unsafe and really holding your chauffeurs and your management team accountable to what the expectations are. That is going to be one of the secondary most critical. And third being data. What customers want outside of customer service is really they want data. They want to know who's using the shuttle, how often, what are the most frequently used stops, what are their high peak times, what is our on-time performance, and they don't want to rely on a report that they get once a month. They don't want to chase that information down. So it comes to really having a an ability to share that information freely and make it accessible to the end customer. And that can be done through a like a client dashboard, a client portal where they have login, they can see their on-time performance, they can see ridership, they can see any issues or incidents reported on the bus, whether it be by a chauffeur or by a rider. And really creating that transparent relationship. Those are going to be your three critical technologies in any ground transportation program here in 2023 and probably for years to come. Totally. Perfect. Thank you, Alicia. So in the in the future of Grand Transportation Podcast, we'll also talk about, you know, the future of obviously the future of transportation. How do you think the in the near future, how do you think these things are going to be changing, whether it's with autonomous vehicles, um, electrical vehicles, right? Sustainability. What are the components, as I just mentioned, that you think we should be sort of be on the on the look for? Yeah. Uh, So I think we're probably another 10 to 15 away from autonomous, uh, large transportation equipment. Uh, I think we'll get there with some of the smaller vehicles in a shorter time period. But as motor coaches go, I don't expect to see any uh, driving themselves down the road in the next 10 years. However, it is going to come and we all have to get on board with that and really start thinking about what those risks and challenges are now. Just like 10 years ago when we were talking about electric vehicles in our industry and everyone was like, no way, that's not happening. There's no way. You won't make it far enough. There's not enough charging infrastructure. And what we're seeing now is all of those things are happening. We have electric motor coaches on the road that are fully electric. It's a real thing and it's happening. And for any transportation program that has sustainability initiatives, you have to look at that 
piece from a vehicle standpoint and really identify one, how does that change your fleet needs? There are great benefits from an electric vehicle standpoint when you're talking about these large transportation vehicles, but there are also some pretty obvious challenges. The distance that that vehicle goes, the charging infrastructure and the time that it takes to charge that vehicle. Typically, you're going to have to increase the volume of your fleet by 50 to 60% in order to run the same size operation that you do with a gas or diesel vehicle. And really making sure that buildings have the appropriate electrical infrastructure. And so there are challenges you have to face, but really getting ahead of that curb is how you really help excel your program, your organization into leading the transportation industry instead of following it five years behind. Because once you're behind, there's no catching up. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That is very well said. Very well said. Thank you. So uh, sort of to to wrap up the, the episode, Alicia, what is the best advice you have ever gotten, whether it's personally or professional? So the best piece of advice I got was very early in my career in the transportation world and a mentor of mine who love and adore. He was a strong advocate of women in transportation. And he always told me, because I was young in my career, a little, little quieter, Daniel, and a little shyer. <laughs> Hard to believe, I know. Um, and and really pushing me to stop waiting for my invitation to the table and to just go sit down and have conversations with people. Because really coming in as a female into the industry 15 years ago, we weren't taken seriously. So if you didn't get an invitation, you weren't at the table, you have to show up. And sometimes you got to get a little uncomfortable and show up even when they don't ask you to. <laughs> that is That is very well said. Very well said. Perfect. How about your your best book recommendations? Um, I am a sucker for Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In for women. Um, it is a great exercise and really leaning into being uncomfortable in a new situation, leaning into unknown, taking on new challenges, new projects, things that maybe we don't have all the qualifications for we're super smart and we can, and we can figure those things out. And I think as, you know, women, we tend to doubt ourselves a lot. So really getting that encouragement to lean into those fearful, awkward situations. Very well said. Perfect. Thank you very much again, Alicia, for all the, uh, for all the listeners that are listening to the, to this episode today, how can they hear more about yourself, your expertise, if they need to, um, implement a ground transportation contract, how do they find you? Whether it's LinkedIn um, or your contact email, what do you suggest? How, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, so I am free on all platforms, act- actively on LinkedIn and have uh, a huge network and work with a lot of folks. So happy to engage with anyone. Um, and then certainly happy to provide phone number, email, um, open book. And I think it's really great when somebody, again, leans in to figure out what do they need for transportation? Are they capable of, of embracing that program? Do they know what they need or do they not know? And they really just need to talk it through. Totally, totally. So where can they find you on LinkedIn? Uh, so it is linkedin.com and I think 
forward slash transportation leader. Okay. We will put it on the episode notes again. Alicia, thank you very much for joining the Future of Ground Transportation. Thank you for throwing so many nuggets of wisdom and experience on how to implement a ground transportation program. With that being said, for all the listeners, make sure you please you like and subscribe and stay tuned for the next episode. You guys have a great day. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the future of ground transportation. We appreciate you coming along for the ride. If you found value in this episode and want to hear more, please make sure to subscribe to the show.